This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 9th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Certificate of need consistently prevents new health care capacity from coming online. It raises prices, harms consumers, and protects entrenched interests. A new study from the Beacon Center in Tennessee identifies local consequences to these policies. I spoke with Beacon's Ron Schultes last week. When we try to evaluate the impact of giving incumbent businesses the ability to veto the activities of uh, businesses that either like to expand or establish themselves in uh, a given market uh, area, what can we say with confidence about the impact, just broadly? Sure. I think the the first thing is we see how, for example, in certificates of need, which just as a reminder to your listeners, Caleb, is where essentially we're used to hospitals having to be licensed, right? A a healthcare facility. And and that's one thing. But this is a whole different level to where if you want to expand your healthcare facility, whether it's get a new MRI machine, add additional beds, not only do you have to prove that you can meet certain qualities, but you have to prove that there is a market shortage of them. And so you have to prove to a government board that there is a demand, a market demand for additional hospital beds or additional MRI machines. And what essentially can happen is, is that incumbents in the market can say, oh, no, 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 we can meet the demand for this service, right? And essentially act as a veto on exist on providers looking to enter into a marketplace. And so it's essentially a government created monopoly of services in the healthcare space. And there's no follow-on effect from the incumbents declaring uh, that there is no extra demand out there. There's no, there's, you know, if, if people have to wait longer for services, if people uh, have to travel farther in order to receive the care that they need, there's no liability for the incumbents that are making the determination about uh, what those needs are. You're absolutely right. And I mean, think about it. It's almost impossible to prove what the benefits would be until you allow them to expand. And so what we try to do in our new study with Goldwater is actually quantify those impacts on local communities from these denials. And so some of the things that we saw, for example, is in Tennessee, 20 percent of CON applications have been denied since 2000. But sometimes those impacts are much more localized. So, for example, there's a suburb of Chattanooga, a a smaller city called Cleveland, kind of a suburb city area, just about 30 miles outside of Chattanooga. And their denial rate for CONs was almost 40 percent. One of the examples was somebody wanted to create a new satellite emergency room, you know, as healthcare is changing, we're seeing the model of obtaining services change where you necessarily don't need a full hospital in every community. Maybe you need that satellite emergency room where people could be stabilized and then transferred somebody, you know, later on for follow-up care. Well, they tried to do that. It was denied. And then what happened is one went into Chattanooga. And so now what happens is, is those people in Cleveland, if they want access, they have to drive farther away than they would have just because of that government uh, bureaucrat denying that service in their own community. But there's no liability for either the incumbents or, for example, the government board that denied that new service. What else did you learn in this 
study? Sure. One of the unique things that we found was how the applications for CONs have declined tremendously in recent decades. We were able to get data going all the way back to 2000, so over two decades worth of application data. And what we've seen is is that applications have fallen 70% since their height, 70% since 2004. And so essentially what I think is happening is we're seeing participants being further and further entrenched and you've got it, it's harder and harder and more difficult or people just believe it's not worth the cost and the risk of going through with an application. And so one of the things that we argue is, you know, Tennessee, like many other southern states, is growing rapidly. And we think about with that growth is investing in infrastructure to scale with that growth. Well, healthcare, being able to care for your population is essentially another type of infrastructure. And we're not able to keep pace with that growing population because of this regulation, this type of regulation on the books. For would-be healthcare providers that uh, do not get the approval from the state board, again, largely staffed by incumbent practitioners in this space, uh, what do we know about the investment dollars that... uh, are not made uh, with respect to the certificates of need. Yeah, that's a uh, a unique thing I think that we found in this study is most of the times, you know, CON have focused and rightfully so on the healthcare implications. But these denials also have economic implications for our communities. We were able to find the projected costs of projects looking at all these denials, like I said, going back to 2020. And even without adjusting them for inflation, you're talking about over $700 million in direct investments lost. So the cost of constructing that new hospital or that new satellite emergency room, these are real dollars that impact local communities. I'll just give one example. The Tri-Cities area of Tennessee, which is Bristol, if you're a NASCAR fan, you know where Bristol is. Uh, and also includes Kingsport and Johnson City, that area alone, which is one of the bigger areas in the state, but not necessarily a large metropolis, lost $160 million in direct economic investment from CON denials. And that doesn't include the spillover effects, the suppliers needed to supply that hospital, the jobs created. We're just talking the direct shovel-ready impact of it. And this has long-term consequences for our economy. You're trying to quantify stuff uh, and trying to give us uh, dollar figures. But when I think of, I spoke recently with uh, my colleague, uh, Anastasia Bowden, about uh, birthing centers. Mm. Now, this is, a, this is a huge qualitative difference uh, for women who are about to give birth. Mm. And uh, hospitals will say, no, no, we got that covered. Well, do you? I mean, it's the difference between a birthing center and a hospital room is pretty stark. And and quantifying the benefit to uh, creating an environment for women to comfortably mm. give birth, you know, it's, that's hard to quantify. But nonetheless, it's something that that people want. Yeah. Absolutely. There is that qualitative difference, especially with the other types of services that often require CON. 
take a, uh, a an opioid treatment center, right? Uh, Appalachia, you know, has had huge problems all the way from Georgia to Tennessee, where I live, North Carolina, Ohio, West Virginia has had a huge opioid epidemic in recent years. Well, that is a service that requires a certificate of need in many states. I can't imagine something that would be beneficial for the public health in creating more facilities and options for people to treat addiction, right? Versus, yes, you can go to a hospital, right, if you are suffering from withdrawal symptoms. But what's a better place to best treat that patient is a type of facility that specializes in that type of unique care, like a birthing center, like you mentioned earlier. And those are services that it is impossible to quantify the human impact of these essentially bureaucratic regulations and pr- that create this this protectionist monopoly. You're in Tennessee. I'm in Kentucky. Of course, uh, uh, opioids have been uh, a, a big topic for lawmakers. Is there any sense that certificate of need is standing in the way of adequately addressing those issues, at least by lawmakers? Mm. I think there's this sense that they know the impact that these regulations have. They know that ultimately it raises costs and restricts investment and decreases the number of providers. But there's always that other side that speaks to, well, we need this because hospitals have to treat everybody, right? And because of that, we have to protect them and protect these profitable services that they have to provide. And everyone's always afraid of impacting their hospital. But the research shows that ultimately states that don't have CONs actually have more hospitals per capita. And everyone is then better off in the healthcare, uh, in, in their health outcomes and their spending outcomes, all that. But it's, it's, it's a, it's an attractive argument from the other side. But I think everybody knows deep down. Unfortunately, what it means, though, is because of the influence of these in uh, entrenched providers, it's usually not when you talk about CON reform, it usually means bites at the apple and not, you know, cutting it all off at once. It, it usually requires multiple, multiple um, bites to, to, in order to get these things fully off the books. With respect to the pandemic, it, I think it gives lie to a lot of the claims, like just like the ones uh, you were making on behalf of you know, hospitals and the other incumbent providers. It, I think it gives lie to a lot of those claims because there were, this was essentially a, an ongoing mass casualty event for multiple years. Uh, emergency rooms were extremely stressed, and it's, it's almost a case study in inflexible regulation uh, met with an enormous need for flexibility. You're right. And, and not only that, the pandemic showed how these regulations are don't even serve the purpose that they supposedly represent, right? The whole idea of a lot of these healthcare regulations is for the public health and safety. Well, in a once in a multiple generation pandemic, many states, even blue and red, temporarily suspended CON requirements. If you have to suspend a regulation, a healthcare regulation to better fight a public pandemic, what good does it do? What is the point of it? And I would even argue, as you kind of talked to mentioned, is 
the, you know, we heard the whole idea around we have to flatten the curve, preserve healthcare system capacity, all these things. That problem of healthcare system capacity is the creation of these regulations. If it wasn't for this regulation in the first place, there would have been no cap on how many beds a hospital could have. But that's the reason why they were capped in the first place. And so you had a, a situation, a capacity problem that government created through this regulation. And then in order to fight the pandemic, they had to waive the regulation. How much sense does that make? Ron Schultz directs policy at the Beacon Center in Tennessee. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.